Yeah, I think what a coach should do is realistically sit down with your staff, sit on by yourself and think what I have enjoyed playing in this program under myself. And I think a lot of people honestly be like, I don't know, man, we just, we just do a bunch of drill work all the time. And I really personally, when I was a player, I loved five on five, but I never give my kids five on five or, oh my gosh, we're so strict on dress code on game days and we have to wear a tie all the time and man people don't even wear ties to church on easter anymore we're making we're in a tie for a basketball game all day whatever i'm not saying those are good or bad things but you know i think you you answer that question like would you enjoy playing for yourself Welcome to the Coaches Club Podcast, powered by Transform Sport, where we believe great coaches transform lives, athletes deserve great coaches, and coaches deserve great training. I'm your host, Luke Gromer, and every week we're bringing you conversations with coaches and leaders in sport that will help you grow as an effective teacher and transformational leader so that you and your team can reach your potential. Coaches, I'm excited to welcome Coach Matt Smith to the podcast. Matt is a high school varsity boys basketball coach in Georgia with 17 years of experience at the high school level coaching boys and girls. He's also the founder of United Basketball, which runs United Basketball Clinics and the United Basketball and Leadership Podcast. Today, we talk about leading this generation of athletes, helping athletes handle adversity and develop resiliency, developing leaders on your team, and providing an environment of enjoyment and challenge. Two quick things before the conversation. If you haven't heard yet, I wrote the study guide to the Coach's Guide to Teaching with Doug Lamov, and I'm hosting free virtual book clubs on the book. The book clubs are four weeks long and study one chapter from the book. I'll be leading the book clubs, and Doug will be making a guest appearance for a Q&A and film session. It's a great chance to connect with and learn from other like-minded coaches that want to grow too. Both book clubs that I'm currently running are full, but I'll be opening registration for the next round of book clubs soon. In the meantime, to download the free study guide and join the waitlist for upcoming book clubs so that you can be the first to register, go to cgtbookclubs.com or just click the link in the show details. And as always, if you'd like to get a free PDF of the notes from this episode, go to coachesclubpod.com or just click the link in the show details to get a free PDF of notes from this episode. Now to my conversation with Coach Matt Smith. Enjoy the episode. Coach Smith, super appreciate you joining me today and would love to start here with this question. What in your experience and in, in all these interviews that you've conducted for your podcast, do you feel like are the most common misconceptions that coaches have around leadership? Yeah, first of all, thanks for having me on the show. It's nice to be on the other side of the microphone as I you know, do a lot of podcast recording weekly. It's nice to be interviewed every once in a while. I appreciate that. Um, but you know, misconceptions about leadership. And I think I was having a conversation with a coworker uh, this week about this or someone in the coaching industry is just because you earn the title or someone gives you the title with a leader in its name, doesn't make you a leader. Someone makes you an administrator, a principal, an athletic director, a, uh, head basketball coach. That doesn't mean you're qualified to be a leader. If that makes sense. Some of the best leaders in my school, some of the best leaders I know do not have a title of leadership, if that makes sense. And so I think that one thing 
if someone is, you know, gets a head basketball job, that doesn't mean that people are going to follow you because the head is in front of the name basketball coach and they're going to see you as a leader they want to follow. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's something that has come up in, in other interviews I've done as well. It's like, we've just got to drop this misconception that uh, a title equates with leadership. It just, it just doesn't. It's kind just of like can, on, go ahead. No, you, you go for it. It's just like on a team, you know, you're, you may name a player, a captain, a coach may name a player, a captain, because they're an elite player. Coaches do that all the time. I've known, and I've been guilty of it to name, to name someone a captain, but they had poor leadership skills. Sometimes people do it because they want to give the person a chance to grow as a leader. But other times the guy sitting on the end of the bench, the girl sitting on the end of the bench, that doesn't get a lot of playing time may be a better leader and more respected by their peers, but yet no one's going to, no coach would put them in that position. And that shows, you know, a lack of foresight on a coach's site. Yeah, absolutely. One of my favorite podcast episodes that you put out uh, was with Dr. Tim Elmore about uh, leading this generation of athletes. So I would just love to hear you talk about what coaches need to be considering as we're leading the current generation of athletes. Yeah, that's a good one. I mean, I think uh, coach Elmore is my most, the most knowledgeable guest I've had on the show when it comes to just dealing with this generation and this generation is generation Z. Um, you know, I go back and listen to his podcast every once in a while just to kind of, you know, keep things fresh on uh, my mind, but this generation, I think that what you've got to realize and coaches have to realize is you must be relational 100%. Know the X's and O's, know what's going on. But if you're not relational, it's not going to go as well as it could. You know, 20, 30 years ago, people could play for a coach. The coach never had a conversation with them about anything other than basketball or football or baseball or whatever. They walked in. It's my way or the highway. Yes, sir. No, sir. And I'm not saying those are a bad thing, but like they never had any type of just conversation how was prom? How things with your family? You got a summer job, whatever. Hey, you know, how's your little sister, man? I saw she made the cheerleading team. How's that going? Just common conversation with kids. Laugh at, you can laugh at practice. You can smile at practice. You can kind of be loose at times, but if you're not relational, um, kids, kids will play hard because they love the sport and they love their teammates, but you're not going to get that connection that you desire with them to impact them for life possibly. Um, and I think that a lot of kids today, you got to understand, um, coaches have to understand that most of our kids communication is through their phone or their device. So a kid may come to you and they don't even know how to have a conversation. So they may not understand about eye contact, body language, voice inflection, things like that. So we have to teach kids this generation. We have to teach them how to communicate, how to do the little things. You know, I, I see kids all the time, kids, I would say, man, they're a good kid, good parents. They don't, they don't make eye contact when they talk for whatever reason, stare at the floor, stare around the room, because maybe they don't feel comfortable, but because again, a lot of my communication comes through my device, but I have a lot of face-to-face conversations with family, with coworkers, with people. And if you're coaching middle school or you're, you know, ninth grade, 10th grade, they don't have a lot of conversations. A lot of the kids today, they go home, they go to their bedroom, they stay, they stay separate from their parents for hours, they don't eat dinner together. So they miss a lot of the just common ways that I learned to communicate as a kid. Um, those are some things I think about this generation. And then 
you know, other things I, I was thinking is like, um, man, this generation, again, I'm not knocking this generation. You know, everybody says, you know, kids have changed these days. Well, kids have changed, of course, but adults have changed as well. So a lot of times we blame kids for things that go awry in the classroom or on a team or whatever, but the adults have changed. So a lot of adults, a lot of these kids have never had to face any type of adversity. For example, they get an F on a project. Mom calls the teacher. You know, they get detention. Dad calls the teacher. Dad calls the principal. Hey, why is my son? Like when I was a kid, one, 100% of the time I got in trouble. I was responsible. My parents put the responsibility on me. So now a lot of these kids have never had to like fight mentally or emotionally for many things. Their parents always jump in and save them. And, and I think parents do so with good intention. I'm not saying that the parents are trying to do anything to harm their child. You know, you and I both have, you know, young children. And, and I think that we might, if we don't fight it, we could do the same in seven or eight years. Um, so I think that many kids today, you know, go back to the point was they just don't know how to cope with difficult situations. For example, um, being a star in the eighth grade and maybe not getting as much playing time on the ninth grade team getting cut from a team, um, just any type of adversity, a teammate kind of barking at them, a, you know, a, a coach benching them for, for something. So I think that, you know, as you, as we teach this generation and coach this generation, you've got to look at who's coming to the table or who's coming into your, uh, into your, um, on, on the court with you in your locker room and think about like, they are different, but our whole society is kind of, uh, force this on them and so we just have to look to strengthen the child in, in every area not just the, the uh, you know the sport we're teaching and again dr elmore speaks very eloquently about this and so many details and, and another my last point about this generation and it's really kind of sad is they're just so much anxiety like they're just stressed I was never stressed as a ninth or 10th grader, 11th grader. If I was stressed it's because I hope my mom didn't find out I got detention or I got demerits or whatever, but like this generation, I, I think social media is to blame a lot of it. I'm really against teenagers and young teenagers, especially having social media. Uh, but I think they come into, you know, uh, our, our locker room, we put them on the team, baseball team, football team, whatever it may be, cheerleading squad. And they're, they're just, they're anxious. Many kids are depressed and You've got to come take all that into example when you have a kid these days. You have no clue what's going on in that little phone in their hand that's unfortunately uh, is influencing their emotions a, a great deal. Yeah, there's a lot of good stuff in what you just said. I'd love to ask a couple follow-up questions to a couple sure. parts of it. First, one of the things you talked about was just adversity and lots of kids haven't experienced adversity. I'm just really curious for you and your program, how do you help players learn to deal with adversity in a way that, like you talked about at first, still maintains and builds a relationship with them, but helps them build those skills of resiliency that we all know that kids need, that adults need too. Well, I think from just a small kind of, I won't say this insignificant level, but a small level is, you know, how they handle adversity on the court if the official makes a call that they deem inappropriate, you know, or do they 
have negative body language. They look at their parents in the stands. They drop their shoulders. Do they argue with the official? When they miss a layup, do they go and, you know, this is, I don't know if girls do this. It's been a while since I've coached girls basketball. Guys just do this a ton. They'll miss the layup and they'll go slap the wall that's close to the basket, hit the pad or, you know, some type of thing that really just shows poor sportsmanship and shows that they can't handle just missing a layup or a, or a bad call. So I think in those moments, you don't, you, you let the kid know why it's inappropriate, but you also explain to them like a better way to deal with it. You know, so the ref calls a travel and you think deep in your heart, you didn't travel. You hand them the ball. Yes, sir. You run back down the floor. You just little things like that. But if, if it's a greater issue, let's say you have to bench a kid because they've been late to two practices or uh, they're not doing what they need academically. So you decide that they need to you know, focus on academics and take a little time away from basketball or whatever it may be. You know, you, you just have to have the conversations of how they can handle the situation, um, why the decision is being made, and then just help like talk through it. Um, I mean, I mean, I think even sometimes, you know, if you have to cut a kid and, and no coach enjoys cutting, cutting a kid. I mean, I, I hear all these coaches talking about they have 40, 50 kids try out for their ninth grade team. That's awesome. It's like, man, that means you just had to cut 36 kids. And I know you can't have conversations with 36 kids, but you know, you might want to see the kid is really, really taking it hard and just catching them between class or, Hey man, I just want to talk about how you can handle this. And, you know, don't get, and I've done this all the time. Hey, don't give up, come out next year work hard, stay in shape, come to all the games, you know, just, you know, we want you to be a fan. Do you want to be the manager this year? Maybe if someone gets hurt, you can jump in, whatever it may be, but you just got to talk them through, you know, adversity, whether it's a missed call, um, something in the classroom with a teacher, I, you know, all the time you'll hear a kid say, well, you know, so-and-so gave me the t- Mr. Miss math teacher gave me detention. I wasn't even talking and they get, they want to be irate. Well, let's talk about, well, where you turned around. Did your body language make them think that you may have been talking and someone was talking to you? Or did you go to them after class and say, hey, you know, Mr. Smith, I, I really wasn't talking. And I just want to let you know that I'm not trying to get out of the punishment. I just want to let you know that that time I wasn't. And, you know, whatever it may be. I mean, all these situations are minor, but in the scheme of a teenager's life, they can they can be major. And while all that's going on. Parents may be getting a divorce. Grandma may be sick. Dad may have lost his job. All this stuff is putting outside pressure on them to feel like they need to perform. And, you know, being cut from the team or that ref making the bad call could be what pushes them over the edge. And that's why we need to help them cope. So when they go out to the real world, the workforce or in college, you know, they will handle most, uh, they'll handle situations that bring negative emotion uh, in an appropriate way. But I think it just starts with conversations. And you have to, but you have to set the standard of what's acceptable and, it's, and, and explain, you know, why we're not going to talk to officials, why we're not going to look at our dad in the stands every time something happens, why we're going to, you know, yes or no, sir, to the, to the official, why we're going to, you know, if the coach yanks us after five straight turnovers, we're going to come to the bench with our head up high, our shoulders, our back high, and we're going to still high five everybody and not sit on the end of the bench and sulk. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's really good stuff to kind of pull on that thread a little bit more and to circle back to what you talked about with anxiety and how anxious so many kids are in this generation. And it's true. It's absolutely true. And 
I, I would agree. I think social media is a, a driver of that for sure. And I think that in my experience, that one of the best antidotes to that is creating a team and environment where kids feel really connected to each other. Will you talk to me about your thoughts on that? And maybe how do you create a team that's connected to each other? Well, some years I've done a poor job of this. Um, and some years it's easy because the kids just jail and they've been playing together since they were in sixth grade. So you know, I think you have to provide an environment where kids feel safe to make mistakes. They feel safe to be themselves. They feel a safe environment, you know, where every mistake isn't being laughed at or mocked or yelled at. And you, you need to do, you know, uh, you know, fun things as a team. And this is an area that I got to do much better in, whether it's you do a retreat, you have a movie night, you, uh, there's a variety of things you can do, but you, you just have to work hard to build an environment where kids feel safe and they feel like being a part of this team is better for them than not being a part of the team. If that makes, you know, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's huge. Kids have to feel safe. They have to feel like they can make mistakes here and they'll still belong and they can show yeah. up and, and bring whoever they are to the table and they're not going to be rejected for being themselves. So, yeah, yeah, I, I would absolutely agree with that. And I think one thing that my mind is thinking of as you were talking about that and it connects to one thing you were talking about earlier with you know, helping players understand how to respond to adversity and mistakes you know, th this happens in a game and, and this is why we don't respond this way. I think that one of the things that often makes it difficult for the messages that we want to send as coaches to really land and take root is that our behaviors aren't aligned with our messages. Absolutely. And we, we, tell, we tell our kids, hey, you've got to focus on the next play after a mistake. But then we spend however long focused on something that happened previously, or we call a timeout or it's halftime. And the only thing we do is, is talk about what just happened in the mm -hmm. previous three, five, 10 minutes. And we don't focus on what's next yeah. or, or we lose it on a call on a ref. And, yeah. and essentially like, we're just not modeling the behaviors that we want them to exhibit. And, and I think deep down, we, we really do want them to, you know, develop and, develop those qualities. So you just talk about the importance of modeling those behaviors and, and maybe how, how coaches can, can do a better job modeling those maybe become more aware or just align our behaviors to what we want them to be. Yeah. Well, I think first of all, whatever the culture is for your team and every coach has acronyms or an acrostic or pillars or whatever they call them. And I think, you must make sure those fit your team and your culture and you really believe in them. So for example, if one of your, uh, you know, standards of your program is enthusiasm and every day the coach come to practice, the least enthusiastic person in the world, then you need to take enthusiasm off your board. You know, if your one of your pillars is empathy and you're the least sympathetic person out, out there, then you take it off. So part of it is, don't have standards in the culture that you know you're just not going to follow yourself. 
And because we as coaches are, are flawed, we're, we're not perfect. And sometimes we see what Virginia has or Duke or some winning program in our state. And we just pull words and pull things that, hey, let's make this our culture. But it, it doesn't work that way. So I think for one thing, figure out what you want your team to look like on the floor, what you want them to look like walking the halls, what you want them to look like as they're warming up and all that. And then are you modeling those things? So, for example, self-control. Um, you know, you can't be the guy losing his mind on every travel or every three second or whatever it may be. And you're talking to your kids about self-control. So yeah, leading by example is huge, whether it's the language you use your body language, you know, um, can't talk about being on time and coaches just walking on the floor three minutes late. Even if you're doing something legitimate, the kids need to see, Hey, you're out there first, your last one to leave and things like that. So I think a lot of it is just, you've got to be authentic to yourself. And then you need to think about what do I want the culture of my team to look like? Because really all culture is, is behaviors that are accepted. That's really, I think what you boils down to what is accepted, uh, whether it's on time, whether it's enthusiasm, whether it's you know, everybody has their pillars. So, and then I think, as you lead by example, you tell kids how to meet this standard. Because we think of kids understand every term we say to them, like, oh, every kid knows what respect is. Well, they may not. They may put on an AAU team where one thing is accepted. Their dad may have been their coach five years ago, and one thing was like, so talk about how do we respect the officials, the opponent, your teammates, your coaches? How do you respect these? And then break down scenarios and break down what it you think it means to the team and then have, you know, kids give feedback and they just kind of have an open dialogue. If you're going to have these, you know, these cultural pillars or standards, because if you're not on, if you're not all on the same page about what a word means, then you need to change the word or get rid of it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think far too often as coaches, we, blame players for not meeting a standard and we haven't actually defined the standard and we haven't right. contextualized it. Like you said, we haven't said, this is what this standard looks like here. And even more powerful than that I found is, is asking the players, what does the standard look like here and letting yeah. them come up with the answers. Okay. This is what you said it looks like here. And now I'm just going to remind you of it. I'll hold you Absolutely. accountable to it. And I'll celebrate you when you, when you live up to, and you meet the standard in these different contexts and, and kids so often when you get, when you give them a voice, they end up generating the answers that, that you would have just given them in the first place. And so yeah. I think that's so important. One of my favorite phrases that I've started to use more often and stolen it, I think from Daniel Coyle's work and the culture code and, and some other coaches I've heard use it, but just using the phrase more often, this is how we do things here, right? That's what you were talking about with culture. It's just really being explicit. Like this is how yeah. we do it. Like when we, when we sub a teammate out of the game, this is how we do it. Yeah. When we go get water in practice, this is how we do it. And, and like you said, they probably have done it a different way in other contexts yeah. with other teams, but you've got to be really clear on how we do things here. Yeah. And, and there's things you have to talk about daily but also it's got to get to the point where the teammates enforce it on each other. For example, 
you know, you should know, oh my gosh, if I walk into practice six minutes late, man, my teammates are going to be the first one to say something to me, not my coach. You know, if I miss school, miss first block on a game day, my teammates see me walking up the sidewalk, they're one blowing up my phone. Hey man, where you at? You know, it's got to be, then it's got to filter down to the team. It can't be the coach. That's not a culture. If the coach is on top of everything and have has to be, you know, the bad cop all the time, it, or the good cop and, and be the encourager it should come. It, and, it, and it takes a while to get here. This isn't a week or day. It may it could take years to get your program where you want it to be, depending on, you know, what type of program a, a guy has inherited. But yes, it is everyone coming together in, in agreement. And if then that's why you get the rare, you know, player and they say, coaches say, well, they don't buy in. Well, I don't, I don't think you just kick them off the team. I know this is going on a tangent here, but, you know, I, it's amazing how, you know, you talk to people in, within the community about a kid and they're like, well, coach, why don't you just kick them off? Well, I invested in this kid many years. Kicking a kid off uh, to me shows I've failed as well, you know, so I didn't reach them. So I think that, you know, if that if that kid that's difficult or doesn't buy in, you do everything you can to work with them. And then if they still don't agree to buy by the standard of the culture or whatever it may be, then you have to have some really, you know, harder conversations. But um, but yeah, I think that it, it just starts once it trickles down and you see the teammates reinforcing the culture or backing up the culture verbally and things like that with their teammates. You know, I think that's when you've taken it to the next level. Yeah, absolutely. When they own it. Yeah. And like you said, when when they start to use the language, mm-hmm. I, that's one of the things when I know, okay, it's starting to stick when they start to use the language. Will you talk more about that? How can you create language in your culture, shared language, and then and then get players to start using it? Well, first of all, I think you have to use language that kids can relate to. So for example, when I go through and think about a pillar for a culture for maybe a specific team, you know, I'll go type in synonym for respect or synonym for empathy. Like, Cause no kid, let's say it's empathy. I know coaches who have empathy as one of theirs. Well, not one kid today will ever use the word empathy ever. Now, so either you educate them really well on what empathy is and try to raise their love, their their language, or you replace it with a phrase or a word that is more relatable to them. You know, so I think first of all, choose language that is easy for kids and they feel comfortable using. Um, and then you 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 have to use that language. You have to use the language. Um and it can't be, you know, a player, a coach talks about respect on day one, and then they don't talk about respect again till day 17. I'm guilty of this kind of stuff. Everything I'm saying, I've done poorly at some point in time. So then you, then you talk about, man, these kids aren't buying in. These kids aren't getting it. And you're like, well, coach, you've gone two weeks and not mentioned it. And then, so we got to take ownership. The coach has to take ownership for, that's why, you know, I was talking to a coach last night. And they were just talking about you know, it could just be exhausting to stay on top of this stuff all the time. That's why you have to have the cultural principles or 
language that you know you can do, you can follow up on. I can't have 13 things. There's no way I could stay on top of that. Some coaches just have, I've known coaches have one guideline, and it was put the program first. Now, you may have to go through with scenarios and talk about how to put the program first. Academically, you need to be on top of things. So, you, so you're here all the time and you have good grades. You stay on the team, uh, being at school. I think that that may be too broad, but for some coaches, it works. So, and then you just have to just go through it, scenarios, talk about it. And then, you know, if something happens, you can have, you know, questions with the team like, you know, what went wrong here? What cultural standard did we not meet here? And then talk about it. And, and, and uh, high school kids are maybe different than college, or maybe they're not, not that much different with things. But having a conversation with a 15, 16-year-old boy or girl, just for them to kind of grasp everything, you know, it could be multiple conversations. I think it's really powerful what you said of finding language that is relevant to them, that can be sticky. I, I think that's, that's really, really important. Kind of shifting a little bit. I think it, it's connected to what we've talked about, but, you know, I think most coaches talk about or, or want to develop leaders on their team. I think most coaches yes. would say part of the reason I'm coaching is I want to help kids become great adults, hopefully leaders. We need, we need better leaders in our world. I think that's really evident. Will you talk about how to do that? And maybe, I don't know if there are specific examples that you could share from your own coaching of how you've tried to be intentional in developing leaders. Well, I, I think that you have to put them in a situation where they can be a leader. Unless you put them in a situation, it's not, it's not going to be relevant. So, you know, I think that you can give, you can give the team ownership of something or individuals. For example, you want to give the team ownership or lead, you know, lead an area. You can have them the basic things of, you know, they make the decision on, or they can talk about, discuss, and vote on, you know, game day attire. Talk about pregame warm up. Talk about game day meals. Stuff that, you know, the coach can override a little bit, but it's not into the world type deal. That just give them a situation. Um, as a team to kind of take ownership of things, but in, on an individual level, you know, it can be difficult because it's just, a, a you, some people have really large programs. And so am I just focusing on my captains quote unquote, which I haven't done captains in years. I don't ever do captains anymore. I can't really tell you why I'm not saying it's the best decision, but you know, I know who, I know who the leaders on my team are. The players know who the leaders on the team are. But I've never, I've not given the title of tap, uh, title of captain. So like on, you know, on game day, when we're at out there warming up, and you know, the ref wants to send one or two captains over. I'll just, you know, pick a couple of seniors or maybe a junior or whatever. Sometimes I'll pick the guy on the end of the bench who's probably not going to get the game. But I want to give them a little bit of man. I got to be captain for this game type deal. Um, and then I think what you can do, like at practice, you can even, you know have white team versus blue team and you know no coaches involved with it and they have to kind of coach each other up and they have to kind of you know um fix issues within their team in the little scrimmage um you can give you can uh, do things where you can have 
a upperclassman kind of mentor an underclassman and give them a chance where they have to meet weekly and just talk about just basic things, nothing really deep. Just talk about how things are going or, you know, I don't understand this play coach Smith put in, but Hey, can you talk with me about it? I, you just have to find a way to give them scenarios where they can lead. Um, and, and, and then from there, I think that's how leadership can begin to grow. But again, you've already set the table with your, with your culture. You've set the table with investing in these guys individually, being relational with them. And then from there, you want them to grow by the time they're a senior so they can be a leader for the young men um, behind them. And there, sometimes you get that rare team that's just pretty much all seniors. You know, I think my senior year, there were nine out of 12 seniors on the team. So in that situation, is a little different because there weren't a lot of underclassmen for the, for the coach to, um, you know, to deal with. But I think that giving them – whether it's you, let's say you do some type of service day in the community, possibly you go to the goodwill and help them out. You go to the food bank and help them out. That's where they are all leading and all helping something and doing a cause that's bigger than themselves. And the coach isn't there, you know, micromanaging every moment of it. Yeah, absolutely. I think what you said is so powerful. You're not going to develop leaders unless they actually have opportunities to lead. I really like your example too, about, doing a game or a scrimmage and literally telling them, Hey, uh, you're not going to be coached right now. You're going to have to figure it out on your own. Uh, one, I think that'd be very revealing for a lot of teams. Okay. What actually is your culture when you step away? How do they, how do they respond? Yeah. Cause I think it, it show a lot of things. And then two, like you said, okay, now is actually a chance for them to, to own something, you know, the coach yeah. is stepping back and, it's on you what happens here. So I think that's really powerful to put them in situations like that. I think this is kind of connected to what we just talked about, but maybe shifting a little bit. How, how do you think coaches can create an environment that athletes both really enjoy and want to be a part of, and it also pushes them to improve and challenges them? Yeah, I think what a coach should do is realistically sit down with your staff, sit on by yourself and think what I have enjoyed playing in this program under myself. And I think a lot of people honestly be like, I don't know, man, we just, we just do a bunch of drill work all the time. And I really personally, when I was a player, I loved five on five, but I never give my kids five on five or, Oh my gosh, we're so strict on dress code on game days and we have to wear a tie all the time and man people don't even wear ties to church on easter anymore and we're making we're in a tie for a basketball game all day whatever i'm not saying those are good or bad things but you know i think you you answer that question like would you enjoy playing for yourself because there's been sometimes i could be like oh my gosh i'm such a jerk i'm so I can be so hard on these kids or man, that was kind of a boring practice for me as a coach. How would it have been for a 16 year old kid? And I'm not saying that the overall out, the overall goal is fun, but if you're not enjoying it, then you're not really going to be bought in. So, you know, I, I think for example, you know, the environment of being on a basketball team or football team or baseball team or whatever the team may be for the coaches listening practices, you know, should be, challenging they should be difficult 
they might be mentally draining, physically draining. But at the end of it, when you walk off the floor an hour and 45 minutes later, it's rewarding that you accomplished it. And the fun is, in my mind, part of it is getting to spend time with your teammates and your friends. The fun is getting better to potentially win. And practice should have some things in there that kids love. Like, again, if you go to a basketball practice and you never shoot. And I know coaches who do this. I've been on staffs where this was this case. We might get 20 shots up in a practice. Well, shooting's fun. Kids need to get shots up. I've got some really, really competitive drills. I think their drills are hard physically, but the kids love it because it's hard and it's fun. And my kids like to compete. They just like to compete. So, and, and, and then also think about, and then also think about like, what is the, what is the end game here? What is the end game? You know, the, for the coach and the play for the coach, like, what do I want my career to look like? What do I, how do I want this team to impact the school, the program? Like, you know, you just get a little deeper into it. But again, it's like, it's like a class. You know, I know people to go to a certain class and it's a difficult subject, but somehow the teacher makes it enjoyable. Yes, it's hard. Yes, there's a lot of writing and reading, but they just make it fun. Um, and I'm not saying every practice is, is fun like a kid's birthday party, but you shouldn't like, oh my gosh, I've got to go to basketball practice today. What are we going to do? 90 minutes of drills, zigzag. Uh, shoot a hundred free throw. Like, no man, do, do. And then I, I did a survey this year, a Google survey anonymous for my seniors. So they could feel free to write responses. And, and like, what do you, what would you like, you know, how well did you enjoy playing for this team? One through 10. Um, and what would you like to see more of at practice? And most of it was stuff that I'm like, yeah, that's reasonable. We don't do a lot. I need to do more five on five. Uh, we need to maybe do a little more shooting. One kid said, give them more water breaks, which I'm not, a, I'm not the best water break guy, you know? So I'm like, if, if not, so I'll take this stuff into, into, you know, my, my bank or my vault. And as I analyzing next year, I want, I want the kids to have the best experience possible. Now, again, when a kid gives full effort and fully committed, then they're going to have a lot more fun because they're going to see gains of being a better basketball player. Yeah, that's really good. A couple things to add on to that. One, I recently had a chance to interview Sefu Bernard. I'm not sure if you're familiar with yeah. him. He, uh, yeah. He's a really sharp guy and just a really fun conversation with him. But he just talked about the importance of defining fun with your athletes yeah. and, and just um, differentiating for them between, he called it deep fun and shallow fun, right? Yeah. Shallow fun, like you and your friends have outside of practice, but deep fun is that focus and learning and improvement and really that flow state that we yeah. can get into as coaches and as players. Cause like you said, there's times when you end up practice as a coach, you're like, man, that's that practice wasn't even fun for me. They must've just been miserable. Right. Um, and, and then to, you know, echo what you said, it, it's so powerful to ask yourself those questions. <laughs> Would I enjoy playing for myself? Cause like you said, I think often if we ask that question, the answer might be no. And if that's the answer, we probably need to change some things. And like you said as well, kids come to practice. They come to the sport to play the sport. If your practice is just 90 minutes of drills, 
it's just not going to be fun. And yeah. and I don't think your team's going to be any good. Yeah. You're not actually playing the game. You're probably just going to get destroyed. And, but but more importantly, your kids won't enjoy it and they probably won't be really improving. And so I think that all of those things are, they're so important and it takes a level of self-awareness and a, and a big level of humility. You know, like you said, you sent out a, a Google form to these players just asking for feedback. If we're not willing to get feedback as coaches, like find a different profession because yeah. when you stop trying to get better, you're done, man. And, and, and it's got, if you're really about the kids, you want to get better for their sake. Absolutely. Well, that was the last question I had, but I have some rapid fire questions for you sure. uh, before we finish up. Uh, here's the first one. Describe the best coach you played for in three words. Yeah. Two, two coaches that come to mind, but they were passionate. They were very, very detailed and they were relational. Hmm. Those are, those are good words. Yeah. Three really good words. Here's the next one. The most fun part of coaching is? For, for me right now, the most fun of coaching is when you see the player's hard work and dedication pay off, whether it's in the weight room, whether they've been working on shooting for two years, and it fi- like it finally happens. And they just they, – they, they, they not master, but they become a good shooter. They become stronger. They become more confident. They, you know, just seeing the work pay off because sometimes you don't see it and they don't see it immediately. But yeah, man, when you see a kid who's really working hard, man, and and it pays off that, that that's, that's big. I love that. Yeah, that's really good. One of my favorite memories from this past basketball season was in one of our games, we had been working on a, a certain two foot finish around the rim. And one of our players in transition did this finish. And one of the guys on the bench jumped up and said, Oh, that was what we worked on in practice. Like you said, and, and that's not maybe yeah. as big as what you're talking about. Got guys really showing individual improvement, but, but seeing kids do things that they couldn't do before. It's just fun, man. It, it, it's what it's about. Here's my next one. I wish I would have known blank before my first coaching experience the importance of having a mentor say more about that well man i i just think that when i was starting my head my first head job 22 fresh out of college several many years ago um man i just i was on an island i guess partly by choice but partly just by ignorance because i just did not even know what I didn't know, you know? So, I mean, I would say that my employer who hired a 22 year old coach should have probably found me a mentor. I mean, it would just, just be wise. Um, But yeah, I just think that's so important to have someone you can reach out to or someone who will reach out to you before you reach out to them and just give you advice, give you tips. So you can call them, Hey, I've got a big parent meeting tomorrow. I've never had a parent meeting. Can you kind of talk me through? Cause you probably had 50 of them. You know, I've got a kid who's having some issues. What do I do? Um, just, just little things of how do you handle the organization of game day? I mean, I was just learning on the fly and making mistakes along the way. Not like I wouldn't have made mistakes with a mentor, but I think it could have been a smoother uh, you know, transition. Uh, but that's what you get when you hire, you know, 22 year old head coaches, right? 
you need to give them some type of a um, a sounding board at least. Yeah, that's so important. Yeah, mentors are mentors are huge for yeah. sure. Here's the next one. I know I'm successful as a coach when the team reaches their maximum potential. And, you know, that could be from a win-loss perspective. That could be culturally. That could be whatever. But, like, when you max out – like, I had a, a group this year. Uh, we started out struggling, had some issues on the team, some players who started with the team didn't end there, didn't end with the team for a variety of reasons. And, you know, I was sitting back in, in, you know, early December. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I, I think that, and I always, you know, don't think like this. It's just who I am. Like, I, I think we're going to lose 20 in a row. I think we're going to lose 19 and maybe we would have, and it wouldn't make me be a horrible coach, but this group worked so hard. And I, and I can say this of the six seniors, that ended their tenure with the team. I don't think I could have, I could have gotten, or they could have given anything else. We got every drop of basketball talent out of them. And that was a lot of fun. They were playing for each other. The energy, on the, the energy on the bench was phenomenal. The energy at practices was phenomenal. And I never thought this group would be that way, but I'm telling you, they tapped into something that was special and I don't think if we'd have played for another two or three weeks, we could have gotten any better. I think that we peaked at the right time. We were playing as good as basketball as we could have. And not one person in that locker room was I like, oh, man, you had the potential you didn't reach. I think they all got there, which for me was for, for me coaching for a while. That's really, really, really rare. And we weren't some phenomenal team. We were 500. We were 13 and 13. But I, I'm telling you, you would have never asked me on December 7th, I'm like, we won't win four games. We won't win three games. We won't. We just won't. But these kids worked hard, and it was the most rewarding season I've ever had in my life. And I may never have another one this rewarding. I don't know. And we had a 500 record. That's such good perspective that that was the most rewarding season you've experienced. Yeah. I love that. And I think every coach would be well <laughs> well served to – reframe success in that light yeah. and to stop attaching our definition of success to a win loss record. Cause there's just so many, so many issues that come along with that in your coaching, your identity, everything that's attached to that. Absolutely. Here's my last rapid fire question. I don't know how rapid fire this is, but here's my last question. Yeah. I'm not a good rapid fire guy. Sorry. <laughs> You're good. No, it was more so the question, not your responses. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, what do you think are the top three things that every coach across every level, every sport, they need to be educated on these things? Okay. The dangers of social media, how to best deal with difficult issues with parents, and how to be a great fundraiser. To me, you've got to – you've. that's it. Those are my three. Yeah, I like it. Those are good. Those are really, good. and like you said, they're, yeah, they're part of, of most coaches' jobs. Obviously, you know, maybe if you're coaching a youth team, you're not necessarily fundraising, but for coaches, you know, interscholastically high school, it's a, it's a part of the gig. So it is. And you better, you, this is what drives me nuts is people like, well, that's not my personality. Who cares? Like, 
if we just did what was our personality, we wouldn't get anything really accomplished. Like that's a part of being disciplined. Like we ask our players to do things they don't feel comfortable doing. You better, I mean, I'm a good fundraiser. I'm a really good fundraiser, but I don't love it. I don't love writing the letters. I don't love the work behind it. I don't love counting every penny, but it's necessary, at least at my job. Maybe some coaches are listening. They've got like $50,000 in the bank and they get it from the board. I get nothing from an outside source. I never have any job I've had. So I, th- I take the fundraising part extremely, extremely serious. Um, and it drives me nuts when I work with people who don't do anything to help their program. Um, I really think it's, it's just poor leadership. Yeah. And I mean, to connect back to what we said earlier, if we ask our players to do uncomfortable things and grow, we've got to be modeling it too. Yeah. You know, it's like, we just, we can't expect that if we're not doing it, that are doing that ourselves. Well, coach Smith, this has been, this has been awesome. Before we hop off, uh, tell the listeners how they can connect with you. Um, and, and, um, yeah, see what you put out your content, your content and your podcast. Yeah, the best way to connect with me is on uh, Twitter. It's Coach M W Smith. Coach M W Smith. That's my personal Twitter, and I have also one for United Basketball Clinics. It's United underscore Clinics. And really, what I, you know, my goal for what I do is to offer great content for coaches for free or for a very affordable price. Like for example, the podcast is obviously free, but our coaching clinics, they're great and you won't find a more affordable clinic. You know, we've got two coming up May 1st in Northwest Georgia at my high school, Gordon Lee high school. And then our flagship clinic is in Indiana every, the last weekend of August every year. And it's at the, it's in the uh, gym where they film the movie Hoosiers. And um, I'm telling you, it's a rock star clinic. It's, it's, you can't match it. We've had, I mean, one year we had like, Vance Wahlberg, Mike Neighbors, Greg Campy, all these guys at the same time on the floor. Talk, on the floor, uh, they're really – I take a lot of pride in the clinics um, because, you know, if I'm asking someone to pay for something, I want to supply the best product possible. And I, and I think that, you know, if you if the Indiana Clinic is – you won't find a better clinic. In the, the, with, the, with the quality of speaker and the location, um, it's as good as they get. I know, and I'm biased, obviously, because <laughs> I run it. But I'm just telling you, um, you walk in that gym. If you're a fan of the movie Hoosiers, you shoot on the same goal that Jimmy Chitwood did. You go to the locker room where Gene Hackman walked out of, and welcome to State of Indiana. It's unbelievable. If you're a historian at all the basketball, you, that's everyone's bucket list to visit the gym. Well, now you can visit the gym and hear, you know, a phenomenal coaching clinic at the same time. Awesome. Really fun. Uh, well, Coach Smith, thanks a ton for joining me today. I really enjoyed it and appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you. Coaches, thanks for listening to this episode, and thanks again to Coach Smith for coming on to the podcast. If you want to connect with him or learn more about his clinics, check the show details for links. If you'd like a free six-page PDF of the notes in this podcast episode, go to coachesclubpod.com to download the notes. And if you'd like to join the waitlist for an upcoming free book club, go to cgtbookclubs.com. I'd love to connect with you in a future book club. 
And lastly, if you enjoy this podcast or find it valuable, please take a minute to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen and give us a shout out on Twitter. Thanks for listening to the Coaches Club podcast powered by Transform Sport, where we believe great coaches transform lives, athletes deserve great coaches, and coaches deserve great training.